We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. The Oracle Network. Distractions Podcast, a weekly podcast that rotates between true crime, conspiracy theories, paranormal stories, folklore, a little bit of this, and, well, you know, a little bit of that to provide you what we consider a weird distraction from everyday life. My name is Alex, and as always, I'm joined by my lovely co-host, aka my best friend, Christy. And this week, we're back to true crime, and I already forewarned Christy that this episode would probably be... Well, depressing. It's it's de- it's true crime. Unless we're talking about fruitcake frauds, it's it's gonna it's gonna potentially be really heavy to listen to. But we hope you stick around and learn more about the case before we get into that. Christy has a question for me. I have a question for Christy, and I'm gonna ask Christy first. Christy, Alex, what is your need for a distraction this week? Well, how fitting. Alex, so this uh, topic was depressing. I was like, great, that's how I feel right now. Um, so I need a distraction from depression and the fact that I need to leave work in T minus three hours, working nights all week. That's already depressing. And it's been a winter storm the last two days. So hoping I make it there on time. And, and alive. Yeah, in one piece. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Ontario, Canada. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised the roads aren't closed, but yellow. Yellow. You know what? I wouldn't be surprised if they close soon because we're supposed to get a dumping of snow this week. Well, I don't care as long as I a get to work and b get home, but don't care. But Alex, I have a question for you. Oh, what's the question? I'm so I'm so shocked and surprised. You have a question for me. What is it? <laughs> the question is, what's your distraction? Oh, I thought you never would ask. So I decided to go the route of finding some weird news. And shout out to all that's interesting on Instagram. Check them out. It's all underscore that's underscore interesting. Interesting. I hope it's not another fish. No, it's not. Thank God. I don't know if I can handle another fish escapade on this show right now. I'm still grieving over the football fish. But anyways, my need for distraction actually has something to do with the reality TV show 90 Day Fiance, which I know Christy doesn't watch. I don't know if any of our listeners watch the show. No, I'm very against watching it. <laughs> I just don't know why, but I don't. That's fair. But one of the show's cast members or former cast members has made the news recently. And it's kind of for the like the weirdest reason. So I- I'll just read you the caption. Okay. A 31-year-old Connecticut influencer and former star of 90 Day Fiance was just forced into early retirement from selling her flatulence online. Stephanie Maddo began bottling and selling her farts in November, which I'm assuming like November of 2021, and eventually was shipping over 50 jars a week by the holidays. Hey, who was paying for farts and what made her think that was a good business like it's clearly a good business but i was like Literally. what the fuck yeah i mean i'm all about entrepreneurship but this is turning into entrepreneur shit 
if you ask me. And yes, I had to throw that pun in there because I just had to. Great. So apparently after a fiber-heavy diet of beans, protein shakes, eggs, and yogurt, she started to feel shooting chest pains and she feared she was having a heart attack. When she got to the hospital, the doctors told her it was in fact a serious buildup of excess gas and instructed her to immediately change what she ate, ending her fledging career. And do you want to know how much she made on selling toots in a jar well if she had 50 orders a week i don't know probably six figures oh two hundred thousand dollars also i must say that that diet that she had going on um i'm not surprised she has excess gas going on because that's like the rankest diet ever Ugh. yeah it's not my cup of tea but you know what i guess uh I really shouldn't be talking because she has $200,000 more than I have right now. So, but yeah, I just need a distraction from that because it's one of those things where you read the headline and you're like, what fucking world am I living in right now? What is happening? This is why I tell my friend group, I'm like, I might as well just fucking start OnlyFans and selfie pictures because I might as well make some money. Honestly, the amount of times I threaten that to myself of you need to quit your nine to five selfie pics and just go with the flow. But I don't think I'd ever do toots in a jar. But no, then again, that's excessive. <laughs> it's excessive. Anyways, I think it's time that we get down and learn about a true crime case. What do you say, Christy? Please. All right. So for the first true crime episode of 2022, I wanted to discuss the missing persons case of Dana Zellick, who is from Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. For those that may recall, Christy and I both have ties to Hamilton as we both went there for post-secondary. So this case kind of felt somewhat close to home for me. Mind you, it's an over two-hour commute one way from us now, but... I say we still, were there a couple weekends ago. So we were. Close to home, and I was there for school briefly. <laughs> yes, yes, me too. We were only there for one semester. No, two semesters? I don't remember. It's all a blur. One year for me. <laughs> and I was like, bye. <laughs> <laughs> this sucks. Bye. But anyways, so although it's not similar to previous true crime episodes we've covered where there is an arrest of sorts, I feel it was kind of necessary to discuss the case given it is a cold case because even though there hasn't been any leads in a few years, I think discussing this may be helpful as it continues the discussion about what happened onward and hopefully maybe just crossing my fingers and toes, maybe it could fuel someone's memory who might know something or might be able to recall something. So with that being said, I think it's time that we discuss Dana and her reported disappearance. So as mentioned, our story begins in Hamilton, Ontario, which we've discussed numerous times before on the show. Uh, but for people that are just tuning in for the first time, hello, hi, glad you made it past the, the toots in the jar. Heidi so, Howe. <laughs> Heidi Howe, so glad to have you here. Um, I'm going to give a small geographical rundown of Hamilton. So Hamilton is a city on the western tip of Ontario and is approximately 45 minutes to an hour away from Ontario's capital, Toronto. You know, the T.O., the 6, the GTA, what, what, the, the Toronto, that's Toronto. <laughs> We hate driving there. Hate driving there. Don't mind shopping there. Love getting food there. Love leaving the international airport out of there, More, most importantly. Yes. So Hamilton has been known for once being a booming industrial city and is home to McMaster University, Mohawk College, and the Hamilton Tiger Cats, which is a Canadian football league team. Yes, we have our own football league team for you Americans listening. No, it is not as big as your football league 
league team. But you know what? This also isn't a football podcast, so we're going to move on. With that out of the way, let's focus on Dana. So Dana Zellick was reportedly born on November 10th, 1972 in Hamilton to her mother, Beliana, and her father, whose name I wasn't able to find. Some accounts claim that her birthday was actually November 12th. However, it's hard to say which one is the exact right date. So November 10th, November 12th, between between those two dates. In November sometime. In November sometime. Dana reportedly had a younger brother, Bada, and the four of them reportedly resided on the east end of Hamilton. Biliana and her husband reportedly divorced sometime in 1983 when Dana was 11 years old. And according to the Spec article by Nicole O'Reilly, this divorce was hard on Dana. Which, I mean, I feel like divorce is hard on anyone, but I can't imagine 11 years mm-hmm. old. Because at that point, you're aware of kind of more cognitively aware of what's going on but you don't have that emotional intelligence to understand potentially yeah it's one thing if you're little and your parents split up and you're just like oh i have two christmases and two houses now and whatever when you're older you're like yeah well now my mom and dad are splitting up i have two places to live but it's all right one place if someone gets custody whatever it's super sad and yeah they kind of understand a little bit more yeah exactly and not only that too but it's just it's a change what right which for a kid change is hard change is hard for an adult let alone a child don't throw yeah puberty and everything else at that point Uh, Mm. yes so dana reportedly had wanted to reside with her father however from what i gathered she and her brother continued to live with their mother biliana i'm not sure why she wasn't able to live with her father or what the whole family breakdown was but it seemed like dana and bada may have wanted to live with him as biliana reportedly worked a lot i know the feeling is quite unfortunate when your parents work a lot yeah. So in referencing the spec article by Nicole O'Reilly again, Biliana reportedly worked four jobs at one point, one at a factory, another at a market, and then another at a restaurant and finally one at a variety store. We don't know like the financial situation, but the fact that Biliana is working four jobs gives me the impression that she was trying to provide as much as she could financially to her family. It's hard when you're a, a single parent trying to raise two children under the age of 15 on one job let alone four right because either way something is eating up your time right whether it's your work or trying to be a caregiver that's really stressful i can imagine oh yeah and again like girls gotta eat gotta supply gotta help your family out but like when does she sleep then if she's going for yeah jobs? exactly i know i'm tired for this woman <laughs> like my gosh i work one job and i'm exhausted It's a lot. But this may have caused her children to want to reside with their father as they probably rarely saw their mother. I mean, working for jobs, as we just mentioned, it eats up a lot of your time. But regardless, Dana and her brother resided with their mother in the east end of Hamilton. And based on what I gathered, Dana went on to graduate with her high school diploma from the Delta Secondary School. It's been documented that overall Dana was a so-so student, but reportedly enjoyed drama class, which I can relate to because that was one of my favorite classes. And now I wonder why, because, you know, I'm 28 and have a podcast and am dramatic all the time. So I'm clearly still living in drama class. <laughs> I hated drama class. Oh, loved it. I can't decipher anything further about Dana and her family life around this time as it's not publicly known. But given there's no alarming red flags that have been documented, such as like a major conflict with the family within the family home, any arrests, anything major like that, I'm going to kind of assume things are okay. However, just because it's not publicly stated doesn't 
doesn't mean nothing bad was happening, but just off of what I found online, there wasn't anything major that was going on at this time. Mm, I see, I see. After high school, Dana reportedly traveled to Europe. She specifically went to Switzerland, where she would stay for about several months with her mother's cousin. So I don't know if this was just kind of a long vacation, if maybe she was helping out her family at this time, but she's in Switzerland for seven months, which honestly, right now sounds freaking amazing. I sign me up. Please write my name down. I will go. I will take the earliest flight out of here to go to Switzerland for seven months. Yeah, I hear nothing but the good things about the Swiss. So sign me up. Yes. So Dana also allegedly traveled around Ontario and in the USA quite a bit as it's been documented that she had friends in Ottawa and even over the border in New York. Although Dana was traveling quite a bit, which some could consider her living her best life, aka me, Dana was still susceptible to experience the low points of life as well. According to the previously mentioned SPECT article, Dana was diagnosed with depression and receiving treatment for it by the time she was 21. Besides reportedly being prescribed medication, she reportedly spent a month within the West 5th Campus Mental Health Inpatient Program at St. Joseph's Hospital located at 100 West 5th Street in Hamilton. Now, St. Joseph's Hospital in Hamilton has, from what I could see online, a very large mental health and addiction program, which I'm sure has probably changed a lot since Dana went there sometime in the 1990s. Regardless, I wanted to share a quick program description from the hospital's website just to kind of help continue to paint a picture as to what it may have offered around that time, as well as to provide general knowledge of the program itself. So from the hospital's website, quote, as a healing place for the mind and body, the West Fifth Campus integrates mental health and medical services along with teaching and research facilities, expanded outpatient services for psychiatry, diagnostic imaging, and medical services for patients across the South Central Ontario region, end quote. Yeah, as far as my knowledge around St. Joseph's Hospital, it's one of the bigger hospitals in Ontario that kind of offers quite a bit of various programs, especially when it comes to mental health and addictions. I mean, even look at their website, they have so much more than any hospital I live nearby. So it's it's quite big. And it's good because we need it more and more these days. So exactly. Oh, yeah. It's an ongoing epidemic. That is for sure. So we aren't privy to the specific treatment that Dana received. However, with this in mind, I can imagine she more than likely received a psychiatric assessment and perhaps a treatment plan to potentially follow up with once she was released. I'm not sure if this was around the same time or not, but it was also documented that Dana was enrolled in a tourism program at an unnamed vocational school. So it kind of does sound like she was planning on attending some form of post-secondary, meaning, you know, she she had a she she was planning her future, right? It wasn't, uh, you know, hitting a wall. It sounds as if she was trying to continue her journey, which is always, you know, optimistic in my mind, mm-hmm. right? No, and she still had goals and wanted yeah. to go somewhere, maybe. Exactly. In 1999, Dana was reportedly living with her then boyfriend. I'm not sure if they were still in Hamilton or not, but regardless, the two reportedly broke up sometime in August of that year. The then 26-year-old Dana ended up moving in with her mother in her East End Hamilton apartment, the one that Dana and her brother you know, grew up in with her mom. Biliana has allegedly made reports that during this time, Dana appeared to be losing weight and it seemed like she wasn't sleeping well. Which I mean, like I remember my last break up, it was kind of the same where, you know, I lost a crap ton of weight. I wasn't sleeping properly. I'm not saying that's like a, a common breakup syndrome or a symptom, but I can relate to that. Right. And I'm sure you could too. Like it's, it's hard. You're sad. You're depressed. Yeah. You stop eating and you're like, mm, I lost weight and great. 
Yeah, it's it's a grieving process, right? So I, I, as soon as I read that, I was like, been there, totally get it. Dana reportedly had plans to move out on her own and supposedly didn't intend on staying at her mother's indefinitely by any means. Dana only stayed approximately one week at her mom's in 1999, which brings us to August 29th and 30th of that year. On August 29th, Biliana recalls that she was home with Dana, who was in her bedroom while Biliana stayed up reading a book in the living room. Biliana reportedly noted that Dana was sitting on her bed, fully clothed, in a plaid shirt and jeans at approximately 2.30 a.m. Biliana reportedly fell asleep sometime after 3 a.m. on August 30th. She reportedly then woke up sometime between 7 a.m. to 7.30 a.m. and noticed that Dana was reportedly no longer at home. Biliana believed at first that perhaps Dana had went to go visit with friends. But when Dana didn't return home, I'm sure the concern and worry grew for Biliana. Well, and if you're leaving at 3 a.m. in the morning... Like, your friends are sleeping. And that's the thing. I don't, we don't really know what exact time she left at. I mean, her mom fell asleep at around 3. And the last time that her mom. You're still awake at 2.30. That's still really late. That's still really late. I mean, unless it was a crisis, I wouldn't be leaving home at that time to go hang out with somebody. Not be like, "Mm, sleeping. Sorry. Can can we do this between business hours? Typically 8 to 5, yes. Yes, yeah, exactly. So I I don't know. It's it's interesting. And I mean, unless she had plans and maybe told her mom, but I never read anywhere where, you know, Dana has said, oh, by the way, you know, so-and-so is going to pick me up. They just got off a night shift or something like that. By the sounds of it, just kind of seemed like a regular evening. You know, mm-hmm. Dana's sitting on her bed, just chillaxing. Biliana, you know... Um, reading on the couch for a bit falls asleep or at some point goes to bed like it's not very clear that there was an outwardly stated hey mom i'm doing xyz which is concerning yeah you wonder what happened so it makes sense to assume right off the hop that perhaps dana went out with friends i mean she's 26 years old she does you know as far as my understanding she was a social person like she had friends in the area and you know she's a social person. She's allowed to go out, right? (laughs) Like she's allowed to go out and hang out with friends. There was no strictness or rules or any curfew that I was aware of when doing my research. But what's odd about this is that Dana went out without her medications or any form of ID. So as you might recall, Dana's taking medications for depression at this point in time, which speaking from my experience, you have to take every day, right? Like you can't, depending on the medication, depending on, you know, what your prescription is specifically, you pretty much have to take them every day, right? Um, Unless otherwise prescribed, but I'm not a pharmacist, so um, please don't at me. But for that kind of medication, my mind goes, okay, but that's something you need to take with you, right? And then on top of it, form of ID, Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, she's 26, she's legal drinking age, but it is a drive somewhere, you need a license technically. Exactly, right? And not only that, but it just seems odd that that's something she'd forget. I mean, who knows, maybe we live in a different kind of mindset where we always bring our wallets and our purses and our IDs and like all kinds of stuff when we go away. But I think that's what makes it curious. Like that's what that's what makes me curious about it is when you're planning on going somewhere, those are things that you intentionally pack unless you weren't planning on being away for long. Okay, yes, that's fair. You would take those things. But my first thing is I am concerned why she left at 2.30 in the morning. Yes, you're an adult. You can go wherever you want. But <laughs> it's 2.30 in the morning. You should be sleeping. Christy's just more concerned about this one. <laughs> 
but the time frame, which is like, fair. Who was, who was leaving? Like, I could, it must be a crisis because well, you should be sleeping. That's what my mind thought of, too, because in my mind, it's like, okay, you know, you get a phone call. It's 2.30 in the morning. Maybe your friend got in a fight with their partner or with their parents or something. So you drop everything and you go meet them. You don't pack your things because why would you pack your things? You're just going for a couple of hours. But in my mind, her leaving her medication and her not taking any ID with her insinuates the notion that she had planned to come home. Home. That's my automatic first thought. What, what's yours, Christy? I don't know. She's just in the shit left at the time. That's all I'm saying. Christy's just more upset that she left at 2.30 a.m. You know it's what? Concerning. Concerning. It's, it's concerning any which way you frame it. But what's more concerning is that days started passing. And no one had heard from Dana whatsoever. Two weeks had passed when there was apparently a sighting of Dana from a September 16th, 1999 Take Back the Night rally in Hamilton. For those who haven't heard of this rally, it's a global effort that has been around since the 1970s that focuses on ending sexual and domestic violence. Take Back the Night specifically reportedly started in 1972 when a group of women at the University of Southern Florida marched through campus demanding more resources and safety protocols for women, according to the Take Back the Night website. Dana was allegedly photographed being at this rally in which she was wearing the same plaid shirt and jeans that her mother, Biliana, reportedly last saw her in on August 29th, or technically August 30th because it was 2.30 in the morning. Well, if she saw her or someone saw her at the rally, Where's she been? Why did you come home? Hmm. Well, so here's the thing about the photo. We'll get to kind of a aw shit moment, but in the photo, which I need to describe a bit further, and I will try and post on our social media accounts, it shows Dana at the rally with her right arm linked with another person there. Not sure who this other person is, not sure if they're friends or anything like that. Just this other person, they're linking arms and they're at the rally. Unfortunately, and here's the oh shit moment, this photo has been potentially discredited as not not being Dana, but rather two other women that came forward saying it was them as opposed to Dana and a random stranger, which I'm, it's very confusing because Biliana reportedly said, yeah, that looks like my daughter. That's what she was wearing. But then these two other women that, I don't know, claim that they're in this photo, they're like, no, that's us. That's us. We were there. So then it makes it confusing because it's like, well, who, who's, who took the photo and why, how, I, it's so confusing. And then it kind of, it makes you a bit like, oh shit, like are people just saying it's them to describe, I don't know. It's just, it opens more floodgates for more questions in my mind. What do you think? Yeah. And I wanted to know, so if the person in the photo was wearing what Biliana said she was wearing when she left, then is that person that said it was her in the photo can prove that that's her clothes then? So they wore the yeah. same thing potentially? Hmm. Well, exactly, right? Like, can whoever this mysterious photograph person was that looks like Dana, could they not say, yeah, this is my outfit that I wore on this day? You know, it's 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 disheartening because I think that was maybe like a fraction of hope that I'm assuming Dana's family had of that looks like Dana, you know, that's what, yeah. Right. Like that in my mind, if I was a family member of hers, that would be the last tidbit of hope I would have. Right. And we'll get to obviously, you know, more sightings and what have you, but I read, I believe the article was from 2021 or 2020 that basically two women had came forward and said, no, that's us. 
So automatically this photo loses its credibility. I know. After this reported sighting, quote unquote sighting, there was another one in 2002 where someone reportedly saw Dana at the chapter store within Hamilton's Lime Ridge Mall. It was observed that this person that matched Dana's description was sitting in the store drinking at Starbucks and they were just reading. According to the spec article, Biliana would go to the store to try and spot Dana. However, she never found her there. For those wondering about potential security footage, in the store, it's possible that there may have been some. However, it's only 2002 at the time that this sighting happened. And we have to remember that security technology wasn't what it is today. So from what I gathered, there has been nothing stated about potential security footage of Dana at Lime Ridge Mall in 2002. And on top of that, I do have to address that there is a bit of discrepancy with this report, as I read on the Canada Unsolved website, that apparently the chapters in Lime Ridge Mall closed in January of 2000 meaning it would have been impossible for Dana to have been seen there. Okay, but didn't it just say that her mom went and looked there? See, and that's the thing. Like, there's a little, I shouldn't say it's a little, there's a lot of discrepancies with sightings when it comes to Dana. I think that's fair to say, because we already have the photo discrepancy. Now Mm -hmm. we have this mall discrepancy. Like, I don't know if it's just a matter of one article reported that it was a chapter, meanwhile it was a different coffee store, or coffee store, coffee book store, or, you know, if it's just miscommunication and reporting. But I will say the Canada Unsolved website did make an effort to say chapters wasn't in the Lime Ridge Mall in 2002. My, there might have been a Starbucks in 2002. Mm-hmm. But that for that sighting, that original sighting said, oh, no, she was in a chapters like uh, chapters bookstore for those that don't know what chapters is. And I'm just screaming chapters at you. It's a bookstore. Yeah, it's, been, it's been discredited because it wasn't there. potentially. Yeah, so. exactly. Right. And I know I mean, I'm just speaking as a former mall rat in my youth. Chapters typically would have some kind of coffee store, more than likely a Starbucks within the coffee store. Right. So you could go buy a book, said Starbucks, read said book call it a day. I don't know if maybe there was a Starbucks in Lime Ridge Mall in 2002, and maybe that's where the confusion is. Maybe they thought it was like chapters, but regardless, this sighting kind of loses its credibility, no matter which way you frame it. It's possible that when this sighting happened, it was in Ancaster, which was near Hamilton, as there was a chapters with a Starbucks at that location. However, as far as my understanding, the person that made the report didn't really clarify, oh yeah, no, it was definitely in Ancaster, right? They still stood by that it was in Lime Ridge. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's already two things that have come up that are not really consistent. Exactly. In the beginning of her daughter's disappearance, Biliana reportedly would receive phone calls where she would answer and the caller on the other end would hang up immediately. At one point, it's been documented that a woman left a voicemail on Biliana's answering machine saying, Hi, Mom, I'm okay. One of Dana's friends apparently believed it was Dana. However, Biliana was reportedly skeptical as this voice sounded familiar, but it didn't sound exactly like her daughter, Dana. Unfortunately, the message was deleted accidentally and police weren't able to verify the call or further examine the message, which is unfortunate and frustrating. Who knows if it was Dana? It's it's hard to say, right? Because you have someone, like you have a friend saying, oh yeah, that sounds like her, but then you have her mother. Like, that's her mom. You can't, that's, a, that is a thick bond. Mm-hmm. Right like there. You, do, you can't deny. So you're like, mm, okay. 
Yeah, exactly. So Hamilton police were informed that Dana may have been hanging around the former Sandbar Tavern located within Hamilton. However, this lead didn't provide any results. According to the Canada Unsolved website, one of Dana's identified male friends received a call from Dana in August of 2000. At the time, she had reported to him that she was living in Mississauga, which is approximately 50 kilometers away from Hamilton and more so near Toronto. The male friend at the time reportedly didn't know that Dana had been missing and from what I read there was no further details about this call that had been released to the public so we don't have a name to this male friend we don't know if he tried calling her back we don't know if there was even a number that she provided for him to call back we don't know if she gave him her address like we have no other details other than she supposedly called one of her male friends a year after she disappeared and told him hey I'm living in Mississauga that was that and then I don't know if maybe he got talking to people that knew knew she was missing and then had a holy crap I didn't know moment and you know spilled the tea but regardless that kind of information leaves a standstill yeah it's very skeptical because why would you call one random friend potentially one year later be like here I am maybe but he didn't know and then that's the end of it with no details I don't well, like it. I don't like it either and then not only that but I mean, it's 2000. I know every time we have a case that's before, I don't know, like 2010, I would say, you have to remind yourself that social media and cell phones weren't as common as they were now. But how do you go a year without not knowing your friend is missing? Unless they weren't really good friends. But still, to me, I don't know, that just sat weirdly with me. How how, how does it sit with you, Christy? Yeah, if you she was a good enough friend to call you randomly, but when she's missing, you would think you're a good enough friend to know that she was missing. And I don't know what the whole Amber Alert thing is like back then. So no, like nowadays you get like umpteen alerts well, and sex and stuff. How would she, how would no one know? She is 26 though. Yeah, but she's been missing for how many days? Just because you're young doesn't mean it's like a whole thing. Like you still get a missing report somehow. But isn't Amber Alert only for children? I thought it could be. But I'm saying like there's something out there that would say oh, someone's yeah. missing. Right, like a missing persons report. Yeah, sorry. Wrong yeah. context. But yeah, yeah was, like it's it was that's what I mean. Like there's something yeah. out there he would have known in a year. I would hope so. I mean, once again, who knows about the time frame, right? But still, you would think, right? And it weirds me out that there isn't any public information about, oh yeah, police tracked this number or you know they follow it up with a friend i mean i'm sure they did i would well i would hope they did but who's to say yeah i'm very skeptical susie and all these things so far yes and that is totally fair and i'm on the same boat so some believe that dana may have left the country given that she had friends in new york in the spec article nicole o'reilly noted how back in 1999 canadians were able to freely cross the border without their passports however there have been no documented sightings of dana in the u.s since her disappearance. This isn't to say that this theory isn't completely off the table, but there also isn't a mountain of proof that this is what happened. It's potentially possible that Dana's mental health may have also taken a turn for the worse in August of 1999, which maybe had something to do with her disappearance. We do have a reported history of her struggling with depression, and I think it's fair to say that big life changes, such as a breakup and or a move, can have a further negative effect on one's well-being. I'm not saying or I'm not carrying this theory to say your declining mental health has something to do with your disappearance but I think it's something that we might have to take into consideration or that I would assume police would take into consideration in their investigation specifically the fact that she didn't have her medication and I don't know if she had medication for anything other than you know her depression it's possible she might have been on something else for a physical health need right 
but it's just, I think, something that could have maybe played a hand in her disappearance. However, that's not to say that it is indefinitely. Mm -hmm. You would just never know. For sure. And some may be wondering about the former boyfriend as an angle into the case. And I hate to say it, but I don't have any information about their previous relationship or about this boyfriend at all. What I was able to determine was that he was questioned by police at one point. However, that's all that is available in terms of information that's been publicly stated. There are still so many questions as to what happened that it's extremely hard to pinpoint her reasonings for leaving or if there was potentially something that happened with a bit more of a nefarious storyline. From what I gathered in my research, Dana's mother has submitted DNA into the National Missing Persons DNA program in hopes that perhaps this may help her find her daughter. So to kind of summarize this case, as the release of this episode, it's been going on 23 years since Dana went missing from her mother's apartment in Hamilton, Ontario. Her mother, along with other family members, have continued to remain hopeful that one of these days Dana will come home or that they will be given some form of answer. For those listening, please note the following description of Dana, which was documented at the time of her disappearance. She was described as being a 26-year-old Caucasian woman who stood at 5 foot 6 and weighed approximately 100 pounds. She reportedly had dark brown hair and brown eyes. She was described as having a beauty mark on the left side of her throat, and she went by the names of Frankie, Alex, or Donna. Those were her nicknames, I'm guessing. At the time of her disappearance, she was known to wear baggy clothes and have connections to Toronto and surrounding areas, the Ottawa area, as well as ties to specifically the Brooklyn, New York area. If you or anyone you know has any information, it's been asked that you contact the Hamilton Police at 1-905-546 in which her case number is 99-626-1090. You can also call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477 or submit a tip on their website at www.canadiancrimestoppers.org slash tips. And that is the disappearance of Dana Zellick. Unfortunately, don't have any answers. That isn't the point of us talking about this case. It's more so I'd like to give it more light because I've never heard about this case up until I kind of stumbled upon it and trying to find a topic for this week. And I would, I don't know, it's... I have such a bleeding heart when it comes to true crime, especially cold cases. I would just like for everything to be solved so that people out there can have answers and come to some kind of conclusion as to what might have happened to their loved ones. So as much as I like having the answers to a lot of things, I think covering these cases will be my challenge for 2022 on the show to talk about them more so that we can learn about them more. And who knows, maybe if someone in particular is listening, maybe they have information that they can share with police that can and lead to some more answers. Well, yeah, like you said, it's getting exposure on the case, making people aware of it, because again, I wasn't aware of either, and it's somewhat local, but not local, but like local Ontario type big yes. missing people yeah. news, where you're just like, there's people that go missing all the time, and you just don't hear about it, potentially, so. And just surrounding the case, she left early, and that was just it. Like, no one heard anything. There's spottings, but they were all yeah. like debunked, basically. So you're like, well, what the fuck happened then? Well, I think the big thing, too, in becoming a podcaster that I've realized specifically in the true crime community is, you know, we talk a lot and I say we as podcasters, but we talk a lot about, you know, the sensationalized cases of, you know, serial killers and, you know, the the big name cases that are over talked about, which is fine. You know, some people really enjoy learning about those kind of cases. But I think from the get go, we've always tried to focus on maybe the lesser known cases or cases that maybe we just haven't heard about because yes, we're here to provide you a distraction, but we're also here to educate you, the listener and us, the 
the doers, the podcasters, the weirdos here behind the mics because, you know, we like learning new things. And with that being said, I've got to shout out the people that taught me a couple of things about this case, aka my resources. So big ol' shout out to my Google search for Hamilton, Ontario, uh, the Wikipedia page, Hamilton, Ontario, the spec article, Hamilton cold case, what happened to Dana Zellick by Nicole O'Reilly on September 27th, 2020, the St. Joseph's Healthcare Hamilton website, the Take Back the Night website, the Hamilton Police Services website, the Canada Unsolved website, which if you are a fellow hoser like Christy and I are, I would definitely recommend check out Canada Unsolved website. I feel I stumbled upon it like last year doing research at some point and I thought, you know what, I should really bookmark this and I didn't. And then when doing this case, I found it again. And I'm so glad I did because there's so much information on there. So go check that out. But thank you to the Canada Unsolved website again for their page on Missing, Dana Zellick, 1999, Hamilton, Ontario, written by Serena M on July 15th, 2020. Thank you to Google search again for <laughs> Chapters Lime Ridge Mall, Hamilton, Ontario. <laughs> My Google search history is so sporadic. Uh, but thank you for that, Google. And last but absolutely not least, thank you to the Doe Network website at www.doenetwork.org. And that is that for my resources. Now, Christy, it is your time to shine, baby girl. And I would love it if you told me and our listeners where they can rate and support the show and where they could get our merch because it's chilly out there and you might need a new sweater. So take it away. Where to find our podcast, as always. So we're on multiple platforms, but mainly the ones we'd like to shout out is we would want you to go onto Apple and Spotify. Right now they have newly on Spotify ratings. So go give us some kind of star rating of such and give reviews. But other ones, again, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, all the other things you search for us, you probably will find us. If you're looking for us on social media for all of Alex's awesome memes or TikToks or anything, we are on TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Also want to shout out to the awesome videos that have been coming out lately on the Cultivate Network because those have been bomb I must oh, say. Oh yes and just a reminder we are newly joined to the Cultivate Network so you should go check them out on Instagram, TikTok and Twitter. I don't think we have a Facebook page yet but I'm not. I don't think so. I don't think so. But also check out the Oracle Network as well. So we're on Cultivate and Oracle. So check those out. Yes, those and search us because you'll find us somewhere. If you are looking for more of a distraction, again, finding us, you'll probably come upon our Patreon page. We are on there. We have two tiers of different different things. You get con- extra content. You get some stickers. You get some cards and shout outs. Um, shouting out our current members. We have Tom, Bailey, Angela, John, Alicia, and Lynn. As always, we love you guys. And you have our undying love until the day we i was gonna say die but i mean yeah you know what (laughs) you know what we love you until we die i've said it it's in stone now it is what it is Yes. All right. On there. Other than Patreon, we have other options to go on to. As is Alex said, we have Redbubble. We've got some merch on there. Get basically any one of our logos you can put on anything. So if you need a sweater for the cold, chilly winter blizzard we're having, feel free to jump on. Get on there. They always have some discount codes here once in a while. So always good to check it out here and there. Also check out Buy Me a Coffee if you're looking for a small little like monetized help you out here or there. I mean, go on and give us a little sprinkle that way. But lastly, um, other than finding us somewhere, helping us out somehow, ratings, reviews, we want to hear from you guys. We want you to email us at we'redistractionspodcast.com. We're always looking for topics on lister distractions. And again, just anything in general you want to email us. That's great. We love stuff. But we were looking for 
stories, if you have a dream you memorize, if you have an encounter, if you want a topic you want to talk about, feel free to email us so we can get some of that stuff out there. Yeah. And if you might recall from last year, because it's already... Well, it hasn't been like a full year since we did our last listener distractions episode, but since June of 2021, where we talked about Waverly Hills Sanatorium, we talked about a restaurant owner that was, you know, a murder for hire situation, which that was spooky, creepy. Like there was so much weirdness in that episode and we would just love to do another one, especially to celebrate the new year. So doesn't have to be anything super, super intense or super long. Doesn't have to be a Stephen King novel. If it is cool. Cool. We'll read it. But yeah, email us. We want to hear from you. We want to know what weird shit you've been up to. We want to know what's good. Exactly. So I think that's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting us. And thank you for being the little weirdo you are. We love you and appreciate you. And as always, if you need a distraction. We got you. Bye. Bye.